Welcome to another episode of The Corner Booth, the official podcast of RestaurantOwner.com and Restaurant Startup and Growth Magazine. Today, the restaurant industry is changing faster than ever. Learn from successful independent restaurant operators and other industry leaders as they share best practices that will help you engage your team, delight your guests, and grow your business. Running a restaurant involves making a lot of tough decisions, but choosing Touch Bistro's POS isn't one of them. Our sponsor, Touch Bistro, offers an all-in-one POS and restaurant management system that's easy to use, easy to manage, and easy to afford. Find out why thousands of restaurants trust Touch Bistro to help them simplify operations, increase sales, and deliver a great guest experience. Here are your hosts, Barry Schuster and Chris Tripoli. Welcome to another episode of Corner Booth. I'm Chris Tripoli. And I'm Barry Schuster, editor of Restaurant Startup and Growth Magazine. And today we're bringing you all the way from Washington, Pennsylvania, well-established restaurant, Angelo's Italian restaurant, hands-on restaurant owner-operator, Michael Pasolacqua. Michael, welcome to Corner Booth. Thank you. Thank you. Good afternoon. So, Michael, Chris and I are both familiar with you and your concept. You've been involved with Restaurant.com for some time, and but our listeners may not be familiar with you. Could you talk about Angelo's and, and your path into the restaurant business for, for them? <laughs> How long do we have? Uh, we've got a full hour or so. <laughs> well, Angelo's... I guess we sort of predate the word concept. Angelo's was opened by my grandfather in 1939, Angelo Pasolacqua and his wife, my grandmother, Giacomina, in just a little tavern uh, about a half a mile up the road. And uh, we're in a township that was in the city. And uh, they operated as a, as a little bar my grandma started making a little spaghetti, a little fried shrimp. And the, the, we're on the national historical uh, route 40, the first highway in America. So uh, travelers began to stop by and of course, locally was steel, glass, farming, uh, agricultural, coal mining. I mean, there was a, the, the early part of that uh, mid early and mid part of that century were quite industrial uh, around here. So the place grew. Um, my grandfather passed away in 53. My dad was 22 and I think my aunt was about 26 and they started running the place and turned it more into a restaurant and a bar, renamed it. It was the, my grandfather had a very spiffy name for it, the West Chestnut Street Spaghetti Inn. <laughs> So my dad and aunt changes to Angelo's and that was probably around 58 and they operated together until 81. My aunt retired. My dad bought out her interest. My dad called me on the phone. I was a police officer at Kent State University and asked me if I wanted to come home, get in the restaurant business. And I said, no, thank you. And something just started churning around in my stomach. I rethought that a little bit and made the, the choice to come back. And uh, for between 1981 and 1983, I was probably the most miserable person on the planet Earth. I did not like it. I did not want to be there. I just was crazy. And then one day I looked in the mirror and said, this is what you're going to do. And I 
changed my attitude and uh, and I've been totally in this business 41 years. My parents retired in 92. I bought their interest out. 2004, I moved, I mean, I, 2008 rather, I moved a restaurant, built a brand new uh, standalone facility and we're on our 83rd year going strong. Well, okay, so now we may need to back up to that point too where most of these early years, grandma, grandpa, and the years that dad operated, we're in, a, we're in the original uh, small location, multi-level, and then you just mentioned, and then in 2008, I moved to my new location. So I know there must have been a lot of thought that went into moving, advantages, disadvantages. Um, how did you decide to move? Where did you move? How long did that take? Well, I knew that the building was getting old and sort of tired. Parking lot across the street, the city started, the glass, the steel, all these things started moving out and the, the actual neighborhood itself became deteriorated. And of course, we, we build neighborhood restaurants, right? So that part of it was sinking. But I'll, I'll never forget a specific day that in 1996, I opened up the newspaper and there was a two-page spread. On this side of the thing was a development called Trinity Point. And on the other side of it was this development called Strabane Square. And it included Fridays, Olive Garden, Texas Roadhouse, Red Lobster, and a couple of comers and goers that were involved in, in the, the chain business in those days. And I kind of knew right then and there that the landscape was going to change, the chains were going to proliferate, and that things would become more and more difficult to operate on West Chestnut Street. So I, I managed to, 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 to buy the, the property off of my dad in 2004 for quite a discounted price and uh, used that equity in 2007 to begin planning the building a new restaurant, found this property. This, this was a farm and we all rode our motorcycles up here. And this is, I mean, this, my dad's house is probably a, a par five from here uh, over, over the hill. So it, it was home. So we found the property and I was trying to work with a couple different developers. And in the course of that action, at the end of the day, developers are going to have about $6 million and I wasn't going to have anything. So my bank told me one day, if I could raise a third of the money, that they would back the rest. And I went downstairs the next morning and downloaded the restaurantowner.com template to write a business plan. And in those days, day trading was a big gig. And there was a guy I remember reading about who built an office in his house, who put a suit and tie on every day and went into his office to conduct business like he was at work. He didn't go in with a cup of coffee and slippers and pajamas. He, he dressed. So what I did for the next two months, I think, I got up in the morning, got dressed, ready for work, got my coffee, went downstairs on the computer at 9 o'clock and started working on that business plan until 11. I did that Monday through Friday for probably two, two and a half months. I also used you guys, restaurant owner, and you guys helped me find a marketing firm that did the total demographic analysis for a 20-minute around kind of a gig. So we knew we had the numbers. We knew we had the thing. The, 
business plan came out uh, beautiful. In no time flat, I raised $450,000 and went back to the bank and they did what they said they were going to do. They, they financed the rest. And I woke my wife up at three o'clock in the morning and I said, did community bank just give me $1.8 million today? And she said, yes. And I went, what the hell's wrong with them? <laughs> but that was it. I mean, it just was a, it was like hitting a lottery. And to this day, the relationship I have with that bank's fantastic. You know, Michael, um, we don't talk to too many people who have a continuously running concept for 83 years. And you know, everybody talks about branding, you know, particularly post-COVID, everybody got ideas, how you build your top line, blah, blah, blah. But I'm really interested in your perspective in in branding from a local perspective. There's got to be something that established you in that market over all those years, which has power even when the chains kind of rolled in in the 80s and we saw all these uh, TJF Friday places come in and now we're seeing different changes in the industry where we have, uh, you know, a lot of emphasis on takeout and delivery. But I'm really interested in what you've learned about local branding. Well, that's pretty multifaceted. One would be tradition, the the fact that we did manage to last generations and build from the locals from that but largely from from day one it's it's just been sincere intention i mean we put the guest first I mean, anybody can say that but i'm, I'm talking with well our, our mission statement is to treat our guests like guests in an italian family's home which is just all that fussing and all that love and all that goodness you know and that has been us for decades and decades and 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 decades plus a lot of giving back uh things uh like like my 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 dad uh, my dad was youth wrestling coach involved in all kind of youth programs uh was involved with my dad was a trap shooter. He was a hunter. He had circles of friends in multiple areas. And, and, and the restaurant back in, 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 in the 60s and 70s, the restaurant had like two markets. One, the bar full of blue-collar guys drinking with Fort Duquesne and Iron City and, up, and uh, Fort Pitt beer and overturned shot glasses for the next round and families over in the, in the dining room. It was a, it was a, was a real mixed bag, but it was always home, always friendly, always warm, always just, you know, you walk in the door and the first person you see has got a smile on their face. That, that is who we have been and are uh, more than 83 years. And conceptually, We were a traditional Italian restaurant forever, and then we just twisted up and added a little bit of more modern food. So we've got we've got plenty of spaghetti, meatball, lasagna, ravioli, fried shrimp customers. And we have a lot of people who enjoy our weekend uh, features and the more elegant uh, pasta dishes and the more classic uh, chicken and veal dishes, great steak, seafood, uh, but very innovative on on that other side of it. So, we've got a a base that just kind of grew over the years. 
but we'll get into maybe recently what, what has happened. It's really sort of double that. I'd like to, um, I'd like to hit that point that you just kind of quickly went over when you were talking about how for many, many years there was the limited menu offering, the classic, the bar feel, and then families ate in the restaurant. And then maybe you could spend some time on how did you successfully not just move addresses, but consider broadening the concept, um, which impacted menu, also impacted design, capacity. You added some things, some display items, homemade gelatos. You know, how did you consider the broadening of that when you still need to be true to the base uh, that is, you know, where the everyday customers uh, kind of walk us through that? Okay, that's a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of a lot of thought. Uh, I I just instinctively knew that the old restaurant was going to go down the tubes because of the 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 neighborhood, if if nothing else. And and just as a sidebar, three years after we moved here, they decided to uh, widen Chestnut Street. They took half of my sidewalk. <laughs> and build a center lane and it took them three years to do it. And for a year and a half, parking lot was blocked. And for a year and a half, the entrance to the restaurant was blocked. We'd have never made it out of there. We, we would have been, it was, it's, I'm, I'm just Chris, just so many lucky things happen. So in all that stuff about, about moving here, of course you were, you were involved in, in, in all of it. I, I mean, when I joined restaurantowner.com, there were only 150 members. I remember I called Jim Lab on the phone. I said, well, how many people do you, how many members do you have? And he said about 150. And I was like, oh, I don't know what that is. That was a long time ago. <laughs> so, I mean, hey, I wrote my, I wrote my employee manuals, uh, all my downloaded prep and pr production sheets. I mean, in, in the, in those days that, I mean, I was on there, every every day for something it was like it was like a, a, a godsend so so i knew when i was going to build this place that i kind of wanted it to look like a chain i just kind of wanted to have that 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 feel and i knew i needed private rooms and i knew i needed more than a minor capacity for those private rooms and i always wanted to do gelato and we decided to do it uh in the in the waiting room in the waiting area of, of the restaurant with the merchandising case uh because i just felt we were going to get a lot of the family business back from those chains if we had that that element and and funny when i thought of that i was thinking of kids like eight nine ten years old it's the toddlers man the toddlers i, I never forget uh, a, a couple with an adopted child. The kid was two the first time they brought him in and he was Korean. And they took him over to the gelato bar. These folks lived in California. They were local, but they moved to California. And they, they took him to the gelato bar and they came home the following summer and he was three and they sat him down in his chair and he bolted straight for the gelato counter. So it was, so I knew that was, that was going to be a hit and it's been a, a wonderful hit since 2008 when, when we opened. So the, the private rooms, 
and the gelato uh, area were things that really helped us considerably with who we are. And of course, I wanted outdoor dining. I wanted a, I wanted an open kitchen, and, and you know, a lot of that was with with you guys. I, I came to Houston. We toured all kind of places. We went into the original Carabas, and I said, "This is the this is the kind of." kind of kitchen I, I want to have. I want to hear those plates clamming. I want to smell those smells. I want to see those guys. And so we, I, I took some ideas from you guys. I, I took some ideas from, uh, from uh, Mitchell Seafood and, and a couple of things they did down in Columbus, Ohio. And uh, from, from, from that, from that group. And of course, when I had my architect and restaurant designer, I brought you in to consult, which we have our little famous story of Hollywood and Vine. <laughs> so that part. Oh, I remember. So you, you have to tell Barry that one. I, I don't know how much your how much more revenue you raised, but so 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 Barry, I had this idea that behind the bar I was gonna have this big storage room and everything was gonna be like a convenience store. It was gonna be passed through. All the liquor, all the beer, all the wine, all locked in one place. Inventory, real easy to count, take care of. Everything just passed through, first in, first out, all that really wonderful stuff. And I'm showing so proudly to Chris on the drawing. And Chris grabs a ruler and sits down with the ruler this way. And then he turns the ruler this way and he went, do you know that you can fit three booths in there where you want to put that storeroom? I went, yeah, yeah, I know, but it's going to be this. It's going to be that. And I kept on going. And he said, so you want to put a storeroom on a corner of Hollywood and Vine? <laughs> at which point I went, no, I don't think so. Of course, see, at the old restaurant, I didn't have any storage. And it was all messed up. So I didn't understand the concept of what we what we then designed into it with a, the liquor cabinet, walk-in cooler, walk-in beer cooler, walk-in freezer, all in, and dry storage all in one area behind one closed door. So uh, it was, that was a learning lesson, but if, I don't care how much money I paid Chris back in those days, that one, that one sentence, that's one sentence was worth a lot in table turnover in the last 13 years. <laughs> How about explaining the um, how how this transition? I mean, you walked us through the need for it, um, and I think we have a pretty good visual for the broad need of the concept and the pieces that you wanted to add: um, expo kitchen, patio dining, private dining. Um, but maybe you could tell the listeners then: How did this impact operations? Um, how did you need to change, or did you change how you structured in order to um, manage this facility? Well, again, that was that was largely your company, Alacar Consulting and RestaurantOwner.com. Uh, this was, I built a place twice as big, with uh, a lot more on the menu, and a lot more table turnover, a lot more counts, a lot more prep, a lot more production. So we, we sat down and did, we did labor studies. We did menu, menu design. We did uh, all the stuff that, uh, that we use for weekly P and L's that, you know, the theoretical, the theoretical P and L, the product list, the recipe list and how everything translates into, 
into all that stuff and and all the prep and production schedules and and uh, just you know it was it was it was a lot of work and it took a long time to work through because after you guys left it was just me and it wasn't like when a chain opened a place they got four or five trainers in all those locations working with people there were there were holes in the dike every day and and crazy rumors getting passed around town there was a rumor we had a 42 dollar uh steak salad the men we had a a a big tomato salad italian tomato salad and at the time i think it was 11 dollars. and if you uh you could add a steak to it and a steak at that time was 23 or 24 dollars. Well, what was supposed to happen in the system, it was supposed to ring that steak up plus a side salad to make that big thing. And it would have been uh, set, it would have been the price of the steak plus a couple more dollars, but it added both of those together and it was like 40 bucks and somebody paid $40 for it. And that went out to the community like, like there was no tomorrow. So there was all kind of those little things that needed fixed and done. And we opened in 2008 and I don't think I came up for air until 2012. It was that it was, it was, it was nonstop trying to get the place on eight cylinders, get the the stable staff and, and get uh, everything, everything uh, squared away. I ran through uh, two, two managers, uh, the 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 uh, chef that I brought to to Houston with me to run the place he bombed out, and his replacement bombed out, and it just it just took it just took a while, but we got there. So Michael, um, you know, in the last few years, uh, uh, post COVID, um, what changes have you made? in any aspect of your business, um, shifting to takeout services, changing your menu to accommodate whatever supply chain issues or labor issues you have. Um, what's that, what's that story been like for you? There were, of course, you know, Pennsylvania was one of the most locked down states in, in the country. So the, the, the first thing that happened during COVID was we're, we're in Washington County and Allegheny County is next to us. And the Department of Health in Allegheny County has just tremendous powers. And they outlawed alcohol in every bar and restaurant in Allegheny County. So the next day was like the 49er gold rush in the Washington County from people wanted to, wanted to drink with their dinner, but just were PO'd about the fact that they couldn't have one. So we got a lot of new customers from we're, we're close to the close to the Allegheny County border. So 20, 25 minutes, a lot of people from those uh, Allegheny County uh, venues are, are here at Angelo. So we we upped our our customer count. We had a very good outdoor patio that already seated uh, 48 people. And of course, they're promoting outdoor dining. Then in Pennsylvania, they limited occupation of restaurants to 50%. So I put two big giant tents out in my parking lot and got cross-season agreements with the bank, a doctor's office, 
and a uh, medical center for our guests to be able to park. And in between my patio and those outdoor dining, I could seat 100 people outside and still seat 50 people inside. So I wasn't losing anything on the customer counts. And because they were promoting outdoor dining and because nobody else could do what I did, all kind of stuff funneled funneled our way and then it went to 25 percent, and that even got bigger because more and more people couldn't find a find a place to go and then our governor shut us down numerous times and every time he did it and the board of directors of the restaurant association repeatedly asked him to give us time but every time he did it he did it on a friday full well knowing that our inventory counts were the highest on those days he he, he treated us miserably then he decided from December 11th till January 4th, all restaurants would be closed in the state of Pennsylvania uh, and nobody open for Christmas. Well, I closed on that Monday and I reopened on Friday and I stayed open all through the, the, the period of time that he told us we had to close. Me and maybe 15 other Washington and Allegheny County restaurants did this. And of course, all the powers that be came down on us. We got cited for this we got sued for that we got this we got that but, but we stayed open and i was on every television station i was on every radio station multiple times during those days it was blew up all over the place i put a video on youtube about staying open i thought the local customers would see it and the last i knew sixty thousand people saw it and we were getting people driving here from three and four hours away it was just like it was just it was insane so we stayed open. It was a very stressful opening because technically I didn't have a liquor license. Technically, I didn't have an occupation permit. Technically, I didn't have a health permit. And if something would have happened with an injury or a foodborne illness or something, I was hung out to dry. My insurance company could have told me bye-bye. That was, that was the stress. But I never, I never feared the government because they simply didn't have the legislative power to do what they, they did. And all the citations from the Board of Health got dismissed. The lawsuit for endangering the public health got uh, dismissed. And the citation in March of 2021 for seating people at the bar has not gone anywhere since that original uh, citation and the coup on the coup de gras and all that is the, the attorney general who forced all that stuff is now the democratic uh, gubernatorial candidate so all that stuff's going to go away because he certainly doesn't want any commercials on tv about all the bars and restaurants he closed down during during the pandemic so all of those things happened and truly we i believe we doubled our base customer account. I mean, our base, our base, we, we just, we got so many new people and you know, the old adage, if you can get somebody in your restaurant two times in a month, you, you can, you can make a customer, a, a frequent guest. And I just think we piled on and piled on and piled on because our numbers have just skyrocketed in the last year and a half. And I mean, skyrocketed. Wow. No kidding. Yeah, Barry, we don't we don't hear that. No, that's that's quite a story. Our sponsor, Touch Bistro, powers thousands of restaurants with its all-in-one POS and restaurant management platform. 
Beyond its exceptionally easy-to-use point-of-sale, Touch Bistro provides best-in-class customer engagement products for online ordering, loyalty, email marketing, and gift cards. Whether you're focused on restaurant operations or keeping customers coming back for more, Touch Bistro can help. And now, back to Chris and Barry. Did you, hate to use this word because it's been so overused, did you have to pivot to off-premises dining at all in your concept? uh, Or did you just want to? What's the scene there in terms of takeaway and and third-party delivery? Well, I, I never, I never did the third party delivery because they all wanted like 20 and 30% and they were all cocky about that particular period of time. Of course we did, we did bend into the, to the curbside and of course curbside takeout and outdoor dining have all changed since, since the pandemic. Uh, we, our takeout business was never more than three, three to 4% of sales. Now it's seven, eight. Some, some, some days it's, some days it's this saving grace. I think, uh, I think Tuesday night, our sales were after the day after Thanksgiving. I mean, after Thanksgiving, the 4th of July, I think our sales were, were 9,000 and I think 2,200 of it was takeout. So, you know, it's, it, it's, 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 it's saved the, it saved the day and, and those things all, those things all happened. I sure didn't plan for them. Most everything I ever did with, with all this was reactionary, not, not, not proactive. So it was just luck and, and a little bit of instinct that, that, that worked through that. On the off-premise side, however, I cut back way, way on, on caterings and off-premise stuff, which really didn't have as much to do with, with COVID as it does with, with the employment situation. I just, I can't take these things on and stretch stretch a staff when I don't have the people to even do what we have to do here. So just call the, the hall that I do a lot of wedding catering and we do all family style service. We don't. So when I, when I cater a wedding, it's a lot of equipment and it's 15, 15, 18, 20 people that come to the, come to the venue. And I just told them for 2023, don't, don't have anybody call us because I just can't, I can't trust we're going to have the, the people to do it. Well, that's disappointing. And that's just because I know that, you know, you were excited about the larger catering weddings and other, you know, outdoor events. But that does kind of bring us to one of today's biggest challenges that we always want to ask people about. And that is in your local market, what is it that you're doing in order to retain staff? Um, what is it you're doing to either try to find additional staff are you finding that you're doing some different things with regard to their um, schedule involvement? Is it only compensation or are you doing different tactics now with staff that in your long history, you know, weren't needed in the earlier Angelos? Well, I'm out of bullets. I, I think I've tried just every, everything and the, and the, and the frustration uh, of, of it has worn me out truly uh, I, I would I would say in the last two years and this is not an exaggerated figure I would say easily 90 percent of the people that we find on a a, a uh, indeed.com or another uh, employment uh, uh, online uh, place uh, didn't even show up for their interviews. And the, the ones that did, some of them 
were hired and never showed up for day one, some of them would come in and work a day or two and then not come back. Just Tuesday night of this week, a uh, brand new cook didn't show up who had only worked the week before and a dishwasher disappeared out of the kitchen at, at $14 an hour, 90 day uh, probation to $15 an hour. So it's, it's a living wage. It's a decent wage. And, and we can't, we can't, we can't keep people. And of course, all the wages went up because our, we had to offer artificially high wages just to get somebody through the door. And then that put everybody else uh, at, a, at a much higher uh, rate. And f fortunately, fortunately, the, the, the sales numbers are supporting the labor and the, and the overtime. So we're still, we're still with, with, all this going on and all the stress of the kitchen and all the, the monetary part of the kitchen, we're still, we're still keeping around a 32% uh, labor cost. And that is simply because this, this, the sales are through the sales are just unimaginable. I, 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 I just shake my head every day. Well, thank heavens for the continued revenue, uh, you know, development. Again, most of our conversations, we don't get to hear about coming out of COVID strong, um, increased customer base. Um, and then because of, uh, you know, hats off to you and your operations, if you have an increased customer count um, and it doesn't go away, it continues to build, that means you're you're going past satisfaction and you're creating loyalty within your people. And um, if you've got that kind of a loyal base, you've got much more chance of holding on to that increased revenue than others within your community. So good for you. Well, there, there's components to that. And of course, restaurant owner has to, to do with that. We've, 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 we've gone to culture training and changed our, stuff there and Chris you can no longer call me a seagull manager thank you <laughs> yeah, Gary Gary one time Chris was here and I was telling him a story about going he said he said oh so you're a seagull manager I said what's that he goes you swoop down and crap all over everybody and then fly away and I went oh yeah I guess I I guess I do the seagull manager uh metaphor but so, it's so, all near and dear to us so, so he helped cure a lot of a lot of that, but we have we have a good culture, and we use the predictive index to see how people are basically wired, and we make sure we don't put anybody to work in a role that's not their uh, natural wiring. So when I'm I'm looking for a server, the four vitamins in the in the in the uh, in the profile of a person in the predictive index are. Uh, their level of ambition and drive, their social needs, uh, whether they're informal or informal, whether they can multitask or do routine. So if, uh, and when we do the, do the survey, the, the assessment with people, if somebody's a server and they can follow uh, some decent idea of, of managing themselves, their social needs are high and they can multitask and follow uh, instructions to a degree that's the perfect uh, perfect uh, server and and when it comes to a prep prep cook uh, 
somebody who's quiet, reserved, likes uh, to follow instructions perfunctorily and can handle a high level of routine work, that's the perfect place for them. So we keep people in, in places that they're naturally wired for and that, that, that helps with, uh, with keeping employees happy. Plus, I, I and on, honest to God, I mean this as, as much as I as possible. I I sort of stay out of the way of, of all that because I'm the guy that notices everything that's not going right, and notices all the details that aren't being handled. And my my manager Dawn, who's been with me for since the old restaurant, uh, I she was a server and a bartender, and I actually passed her over a couple times before I promoted her to manager and. She's, uh, she, she's, she's, she's wonderful. Here, here's me. Hey, Chris, go out to the shed and give me two cases of toilet paper. Here's Dawn. Hey, Chris, if, if you could do me a favor when you get a minute, could, could you please go out to the shed and bring in a couple cases of toilet paper and paper? And then Chris goes, do you want anything else while I'm out there? You know, so she's persuasive and friendly and, and, and the staff loves her and the, young man I have running the kitchen. He's just, uh, I just put a, I just put a tribute and a profile of him on Facebook today. Cause he's a kid I've watched from a, from 17 year old bus boy to a 27 year old head chef. I just watched that young man grow every day. And it's just been a, a pleasure. I hope people are listening to this. You know, when I teach a workforce planning course at university and I got very interested in a lot of the new technologies uh, that you're discussing, the predictive uh, modeling softwares. And we wanted to write about that in the magazine. And, and we did quote you, as you recall, you right. you con- contributed a lot. But going into it, I thought, oh, my goodness, is anybody, any independents actually using this type of technology? And then you jumped right in there. And, you know, it's just is so important what you're saying to take that much time and effort to um, in the recruitment and the hiring and the training process. And, and, you know, it sounds like you've had a culture very well defined for decades. And now you're somehow able to translate that to this, these 20 somethings coming into your restaurant. Would, if I'm hearing you correctly, that f- Italian family home vibe is a huge deal. Why people keep coming back. Yeah. It, you know, uh, I had, a, I had, a, had a friend who, uh, who worked for, uh, he, he ran a, he ran a uh, 84 lumber owns a Nemecolon Woodlands and he ran one of their, their dining rooms there. And he's the one that told me about the predictive index. So I didn't know much about it. So I called, I called the guy who was running the program at the time locally named George Borowski. And he came to the restaurant and he did an analysis on 20 of my people. And then he, put all their names on a, on a card on cards and handed them to me. When he came back, he said, I want you to make three piles, make a pile of the employees that you're happy with a pile of employees. You could go either way with, uh, and the employees that you don't want to have in your restaurant. I said, okay. So I shuffled through the cards and I put the three piles down and then he matched three piles on the other side. And with exception of one name, they were all the same. Mm-hmm. So I knew this wasn't a hoax. This was this was real science, and uh, 
my 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 wife bought into it. My wife has is a, a vice president of human resources for a very large nonprofit, and she's got four hundred people in her in her her PI. She uses it extensively. She uses it for, she uses it way more than I do. She use reuses it for for team building for. Uh, conflict resolution all kind of stuff it's she's 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 moved past me when it comes to being an, 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 an analyst but you still you sort of deserve a lot of credit for to be an independent operator and using that technology and and i'm just happy to hear that it's paying off for you it, you, you know it, it's paying off but you know if, if i ever retired when I retire, I always always thought about doing some. It would be in conjunction with RO and the guys if it ever would take off of of, of just going around someplace and just doing a real food cost seminar, expensive, hands on, three day thing, because that's what you have to do. When when we decided here, we were gonna have a, a weekly inventory, a weekly P&L that we were going to uh, write down our recipes. We were going to break our costs down. We were going to do all these things, menu engineering from this end to that end. This, this was serious, serious business. It was not anything to take lightly. It wasn't a one day $50 seminar. This was, this was, dig deep and, and, and get it done. And it took months to get all of that running. But every Friday I have a P&L that's up to date from two weeks ago, up to two weeks back with a menu engineering, my prime cost and everything that I can look at in a, in a second and be able to uh, know sort of where we're at and, when there, when there are issues that something's out of kilter with the percentage, we know not to panic. We know to wait another week, do another inventory, see what shakes out. And if something stays high for a while, we, we look into it and try to figure out what, uh, what may, be, uh, may be causing that. And sometimes the price of something was wrong. Sometimes the price went up. Sometimes we, you know, count this and count that and determine that somebody's walking out the back door with a few of these and a few of those. And we, we, we solved it, but, but it was intensive as hell to get all that up and running and took quite a amount of time. But, but I, I swear, I swear every little independent that doesn't, that doesn't do this mm -hmm. uh, is making a huge mistake. Well, there's no doubt. I mean, it would be a, it would be a tremendous impact on others if you were able to, uh, you know, do it. You mentioned if you were able to meet with other independents, share your story, hone in on that constant uh, commitment for improvement, knowing your numbers by the week. Uh, there's, I don't think there's ever been a more crucial time, certainly not recently, than there is right now with cost rising, labor uh, ineffectiveness, too many independents that haven't switched really to digital management. Uh, I mean, tech, technology management and digital marketing. Uh, and so we're leaving money on the table. It's a hard time to do that when margins are so tight. 
Um, and not every independent has had that post-COVID tremendous revenue bill that you've had. So <clears throat> that's a let point. Me, well, let, me interrupt, let me interrupt you to tell you a little story. Some, some friends of mine tried to open up a restaurant next to, to, to ours. It was going to be a banquet hall, and it was going to be a sort of a small Dave and Buster's kind of thing. And none of them, one's a roofer, one's a psychologist. They have no restaurant experience. So when they were starting to build, I went to them and I said, look, I know, and I was talking about a la carte. I said, I know a company that can come in here and set everything you need set up, develop your menu, develop your concept, do do all of your cost analysis, your prep for production, your checklist, your hire your managers, hire all your people, train all your people. They they could be around for you and, and on call for two or three months until you landed with your feet on the ground and you'd be making you'd be profitable way before you'll ever become profitable without doing it. And he said, Well, what would that cost? And I said, Well. I, that's that's where you're going to think it's 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 weird because it would probably be over a hundred grand, maybe somewhere like one fifty, depending on how long they were here. And he just shook his head and said, "We can't afford that." And I went, "Paul, you can't afford not to." Well, two years later, the bank took the building from them. They they went bankrupt. They they lost it, and they had nobody in there that could run a a, a restaurant, and they had no idea what they were doing, and. They they went belly up and and that it's it's so so sad uh, that because it could have been a could have been could have been a good thing. So again, there's just I run into so many little guys that just don't 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 handle their numbers and they don't they just don't know what they're what they're missing by failure to handle the numbers. Wow, I mean I you know Barry I don't think we've heard. Um, uh, a better, uh, thorough, uh, and unsolicited, I guess. Uh, oh, this is solicited. I, I want to check, buddy. <laughs> no, point made for being prepared and using the knowledge that's out there and using restaurantowner.com correctly and regularly and and then and looking for ways to be prepared because what you were trying to tell those people next door was that opening restaurants isn't really about being scared, uh, but it's all about being prepared. And it, it's a shame they weren't better uh, prepared. We hate to see that type of, of uh, waste and failure. And I know that it it just, it breeds more of a, of a difficulty for people like yourself and other independents that are listening today that are doing well and wanna grow um, to have those kinds of stories told um, gets in our way. You know, it helps developers not want to talk to the brand new guy. It helps the bankers not want to lend to the brand new guy. So we really do wish that operators would, as you've been pointing out through this entire hour, pay attention to the numbers, use the resources that are out there, uh, because you can succeed. You've been for a number of years. You well, can it's, it's harder at first to get all that stuff done, but then it's easier once it's in, in place because you can you find things and you know where, you know, you have to know where you are. It's, it's just, it, you, 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 you got to know where you are. It's really quite simple, that part of it. You know, I'm taking away from this, Chris, and, and this is probably preaching to the choir as far as you're concerned, because I've known you for a long time, but you know, there's a lot of consultants out there now. 
on the internet and they all offering some magic bullet that's going to, you know, fill their, fill their seats and, and make them lots of money. But um, as much as Michael is a poster child for restaurant.com, there's a lot of discipline involved in making that all work. It isn't something that was handed over to him. Oh, here you go. Here's your magic bullet. Just flip the switch and things are going to work. It takes discipline. And I know you, Chris, you're back to basic discipline guy. You're either going to put the time and effort into it, apply the systems, do everything right, check your numbers, back to basics. You know, all the great stuff with social media marketing or how to use your telephone to to text extra customers or to engage them. That's all fine and dandy. But when I hear Michael talking, it is it is grinding the basics, doing everything right. So he could take advantage of all the top line success he had. Am I overstating it, Michael? No, not 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 at all. And, and, and again, between 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 our cart and restaurant owner, I, I keep telling you, I would I wouldn't be uh, anywhere where where I am today when it, because the system the, the systems are so just astronomically in, in, important on top of all the other the other other stuff. Recently, I began to use restaurant owner for the learning systems for right. some things for my, my uh, managers. That's the next step we're, we're taking here is we're taking courses and some of them are relatively elementary, but some place in there, you pick up one or two uh, little things I'm using. I'm using, you know, of course the articles originate from, from your magazine and end up on, on the website, but, how to's and sometimes I'll send something to the, the chef about, about inventory control, just so he can feel proud because we're doing this, 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 and this, you know, we're, we're, we're doing these things. So I still use RO a lot. It was funny. <laughs> Jim, Jim asked me if I was using the, uh, the other day asked me if I was using the learning system for, for onboarding. I said, no, I got I got to keep somebody here long enough to onboard them. Let <laughs> I'm not going to waste my time on that until I know somebody's going to uh, stick stick with us. But I got to also say that that my young kid chef running that kitchen, he's got a hell of a team back there. They they give blood for him. They all will work the overtime and do what they have to do. They all get a little. They all get to be creative. They all you know if you're in the saute station that night your specials are yours if you're making sandwiches you can make special sandwich if you're running pasta red sauce and you want to make a pasta dish as long as it fits inside the mold of who of who we are then they they have at it and there's no ego out there and it's just the greatest bunch of guys i've ever had so you give your people some latitude to uh, to grow and then i guess and to take take risks here and there and, and try something and feel like they are making a contribution, not essentially. That, that, that part of and that, and that's, that's culture training. That's part of the, the experience with, with, uh, with, with, with RO and the, and the magazine. Uh, you know, I, I, I mean, I'm not blowing smoke up, up you guys. I, I, I mean it. You're, you are the reason that I'm, I mean, I had good instincts and I was always good with a, with a big picture back in the early days. You know, my dad and my uncle ran the restaurant from behind the bar. They were bartenders they had that big bar crowd. They weren't in the dining room. They, they, they didn't know 
cost analysis. They just guessed at prices. They did this, did they that. And some early fights in the early 80s I had with my dad were good. Dad, I, I, this is not supposed to be behind the bar. You're supposed to be here. You're supposed to be there. And I didn't even know what I was talking about. I just instinctively knew that the restaurant needed to be run in a different fashion. And my God, there were a, a, a lot of fights between father and son. And nowadays, my 92-year-old dad likes to say that I did everything he told me not to. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope that your 92-year-old dad also appreciates the fact that some of the adjustments you may have been making in staff handling uh, are what's, what's best for the concept. He may have been doing what was best then, but the way you engage your staff and what you just explained uh, with the empowerment of people that you are uh, doing, say, with the chef-led kitchen staff, uh, those are a couple of steps that independents now are grabbing more than ever. Yes, if staff feel that they're actually a part of the process, if they are actually empowered to do you know, a better job, then they feel like they belong and they stay longer. So <clears throat> your dad's got to be proud of that one. Yeah, we, uh, he's, uh, he's 92 and he's, he's a treat, that's for sure. We, we, we talk almost every day about, about something, so uh, it's pretty cool. Well, Michael, we could talk every day about this, but unfortunately, we've got to wrap up. You've got a busy shift to go run, and we've got to wrap up. But thank you so much. I, uh, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate all you guys. Have, uh, Donna, continue to uh, be part of the of the of the of the family, so to speak. And uh, and uh, this this was fun. Our writers will keep reaching out to you, Michael. So. Uh, um, we hope you'll take their calls. <laughs> I will. No problem. Thanks, guys. <laughs> All right. Take care. Continue right. success, big guy. Go have a good shift. All right. Thanks. You too. Or you don't have a shift. You're off. <laughs> and for everyone, I hope you really, really uh, got some good value out of listening to Michael. You can contact him directly. Angelo's Restaurant in Washington, uh, Pennsylvania. Please look it up. And my, my email is really easy, Michael at AngelosRestaurant.com, and I'd be happy to, to talk to anybody in this business about anything, anytime. And we encourage you all to do that. And until the next time, we hope that you'll have great shifts, and maybe we'll all catch up on the next corner booth. Thank you all. Stay, take care. We'd like to thank Touch Bistro for sponsoring this episode. Touch Bistro provides an all-in-one POS and restaurant management platform for venues of all sizes, from food trucks to fine dining. Go to touchbistro.com to find out how Touch Bistro can solve your restaurant technology challenges today. Thank you for joining us on The Corner Booth. We'll be back next Tuesday with more inspiration, insights, and industry best practices to help you engage your team, delight your guests, and grow your business. <laughs>